I went skiing last weekend in the man-made snow and mellow slopes of the mid-Atlantic here, and it got up to almost 60 degrees. Uh, too hot for a ski helmet, so I ended up just wearing my baseball hat to keep the sun out of my eyes and off my head. And riding the lift up or skiing down, there were a couple times where I had to grab at my hat because a strong gust threatened to rip it off, which reminded me of that idiom, hang on to your hat. And I started thinking of other hat idioms and decided that they'd make for a good topic for episode 11 of this season's Idiom America. After all, you look at something like the cowboy hat, and, and that's almost like an, uh, an American idiom incarnated in an item of clothing. Uh, or take the beaver helmet in all its forms, uh, including the cowboy hat, which sometimes w was made out of beaver felt. Uh, which, one could argue, drove early westward exploration of the North American continent by the Europeans more than about anything else. So, hold on to your hat and let's take a look at some of these hat idioms and see what else of interest might come up. First, of course, there's, there's that one. Uh, to hold or to hang onto your hat is an idiom meaning to get ready for what's coming or about to happen often said as a humorous warning that conditions are about to become more difficult or hazardous, like, hang on to your hat, things are about to get ugly. And the origin of this one is pretty obvious, and standing at the top of a ski run wearing a hat is as good a setting as any for this one, uh, as it mixes both the literal and the idiomatic meaning. Uh, besides hanging on to one's hat, there's also the idiom to simply hang one's hat. And this one means to depend or rely on something, typically one's skills or one's past accomplishments. Like, I can't just hang my hat on last year's work results, so I got to prove myself again this year. In a similar vein, it can convey a mild bragging about one's past accomplishments or skills. Uh, he really hangs his hat on his chili recipe. Or it can mean to believe or trust something. Uh, she's been known to tell a few tall tales, so you really can't hang your hat on anything she says. Finally, showing the versatility of this one, you sometimes hear it used as an expression referring to a place where you live or spend a lot of time, where you feel comfortable, where everybody knows your name. Uh, yeah, I pretty much hang my hat there. I really like working out of that coffee shop. Uh, this one seems to be a little more old-fashioned than the other uses. Uh, poking around some on Google Ingram, I, I found this use of the idiom from a 1916 short story uh, that billed itself as a novelette uh, that's called The Boss of Powderville, where a guy named Ripley says, a little information about the man I am to work for, replied Ripley pointedly. At the bank, he has a name with a string of figures after it. That's all they knew of him. But I gambled on it and I came down. Now, I would like to know what peg in this winsome community this man hangs his hat on before I sign with him for keeps. And that usage kind of ties in all the meanings, I think. Uh, the peg in the community where one hangs his hat tells you what you need to know about the man, where he spends his time, the company he keeps, what he's known for. Uh, is he hanging his hat in a seedy bar or some more respectable establishment? So we got hang on to one's hat and just hang one's hat, but there's also hang up one's hat, uh, which means to finish up work, to call it a day, or to even retire from work for good. And this comes from back in the day when men used to wear hats everywhere all the time when they were out, even in the workplace. So when they finally took off their hats and hung them up, 
that signified the end of the day, end of the work day, uh, which then stretched into end of work period, retirement. After 30 years of working for the same company, he got the gold watch and hung up his hat. And you also hear this one is to hang up one's spurs or hang up one's boots. And maybe you hang up your hat only to then throw it into the ring to run for local political office or the board of your homeowners association in your newfound leisure time, maybe. Uh, to throw your hat into the ring means, of course, to announce your intention to compete in a contest, often a political one. And this one originally comes from boxing, where contestants would literally throw their hats into the boxing ring as a signal that they wanted to join the fight. And it dates back to at least the early 1800s. And when we think of boxing these days, we usually think of the roped ring that's actually in the shape of a square. But back in the day, the ring formed as a circular space amid a a crowd of onlookers that were egging the boxers on, kind of like you might see today in an underground dog or cockfight. So boxing is brutal enough these days, but it had to have been even more so back in the day when you had a crowd of people pressed in tight in a circle around two hatless guys going at it with hats flying into the ring to signify that more wanted to join the melee. Uh, This podcast has looked at a lot of idioms coined or popularized by Teddy Roosevelt, and here's another one, as Teddy had a famous usage that really was key in turning this one from a phrase about boxing into an idiom about running for political office. Uh, In 1912, after Teddy had founded the Bull Moose Party, when a reporter asked him about his plans to challenge incumbent President Howard Taft, who had succeeded him, uh, Teddy responded, My hat is in the ring, the fight is on, and I'm stripped to the buff. And now we hear this one every year in anticipation of another, or every four years at least, in anticipation of another presidential election as the pundits speculate about who will be throwing their hat in the ring. Uh, Besides throwing your hat in the ring, you could also put your name in the hat, uh, which means something similar. And this comes from the practice of putting ballots into a hat and then drawing a single ballot from the hat at random to decide the winner. So if you're putting your own name in the ballot, you're making yourself eligible to win. And so the idiom has come to mean to nominate yourself or somebody to run in some election contest, competition, etc. But before we hang up our hat or throw it into the ring or start passing it around, there are a few more idioms to look at while the hat's still on our heads. Uh, first, you can be keeping something under your hat, uh, which really only works as an idiom if that something also includes your head. Uh, because to keep something under your hat means to keep something secret or to keep it in your head, under your hat, in your thoughts only. Uh, there's an origin story floating around about this one that posits that it dates back to a time when archers kept their bowstrings under their hats in order to keep them dry. And while it's true that archers did this, the first examples of the idiom, keep it under your hat, are not found until centuries later, and keeping something dry is not really the same as keeping it secret. So it doesn't make all that much sense. Uh, There's also those that speculate that this idiom has something to do with Abraham Lincoln's habit of secreting important papers inside the lining of his stovepipe hat. Uh, In fact, Lincoln often referred to his hat as his office. Uh, But again, it doesn't seem like this idiom arose until the late 1800s, and it seems likely that it just comes from the idea of keeping something in your head, not letting it out from under your hat and into the broader world. Uh, One notable thing about this one is that during World War II, while here in America, we ran with the slogan that 
warned that loose lips sink ships. Uh, people in the UK had their own slogan, keep it under your hat. And the, this emphasized that anything a person knew, whether they thought it was important or not, could be a danger to the men on the front lines if what they knew was talked about. And it included campaign posters like uh, the one that uh, showed a regular hat over some text that said, the more you keep information under your hat, and then a soldier helmet with the text below saying, the safer he'll be under his. Careless talk costs lives. Uh, while your hat's up there busy containing thoughts best kept secret, it might be considered a thinking cap. Leading, of course, to the idiom of put your thinking cap on, which means to start trying to think of what should be done, to apply yourself to considering a problem and finding a solution to it. When we tell someone to put on their thinking cap, we are asking them to work to solve a problem. And this one arises from the earlier term, considering cap. Uh, not quite as catchy, which was used all the way back in the early 1600s and possibly referred to an actual cap that people would put on when they wanted to cogitate carefully about something. Uh, you might think of the thinking cap as the opposite of the dunce cap. Uh, think here of a Schoolboy sitting in the corner with his back to the class wearing a conical cap, uh, not unlike a KKK hood, incidentally. And believe it or not, schools here in the U.S. actually still allowed for the use of dunce caps all the way up until the 1950s when they were used as a form of discipline for children who were disruptive or considered slow in learning. And interestingly, the dunce cap was actually originally more of a sign of a brilliant mind, of a respected scholar than that of a dullard. Uh, it all began with a Scottish priest and philosopher from the 1200s named uh, John Dunn Scotus, who was a Renaissance man before the Renaissance was a thing. Uh, as he was a master philosopher, linguist, theologian, and metaphysical thinker, uh, considered today to be one of the great thinkers of the Middle Ages. And he was a fascinating guy with some interesting theories, but the rele relevant thing here is that at some point he became a proponent of the use of pointy hats. Uh, some say that he was inspired by the use of such hats by wizards, while others say that it was Scotus's love of the cone-shaped hat that inspired the popular image of wizards wearing conical caps. Uh, but Scotus apparently liked the hats because he hypothesized that the shape of a pointed hat would funnel knowledge from the outside world into the mind, where it would spread throughout the brain. Uh, whatever the case, after John Duns, Duns Scotus died, his followers, who became known as Dunsmen, uh, continued to wear the pointed hats to display their wealth of knowledge. However, as the Renaissance came about and humanist science-based learning overtook more complicated speculative theories of the past, Dunsmen uh, became a pejorative term. And those who stayed committed to Scotus's teachings were considered to be behind the times, and the pointed caps became a symbol of an inability or unwillingness to learn and became known as dunce caps. And the modern-day version of a dunce cap might be a tinfoil hat, which is widely used as an insult to imply that somebody is acting crazy or believes in nonsense or out-there ideas, uh, particularly conspiracy theories. So you might hear somebody say something like, well, if I put on my tinfoil hat oh, for a minute, who is to say that reptilian humanoids from the Alpha Draconis star system are not responsible for a worldwide conspiracy against humanity? 
lizard people. Look it up. Open your eyes, sheeple. Uh, in the 19th century, a tinfoil hat was kind of a party hat. But that started to change in the 20th century. Uh, there was a 1920 sci-fi short story called The Tissue Culture King by Julian Huxley, uh, who was the brother of Aldous Huxley, author of Brave New World. And this short story featured characters wearing caps of metal foil to evade mind control waves, uh, which illustrates the core concept of the tinfoil hat, that it acts as a kind of Faraday cage to block various kinds of electromagnetic, electromagnetic waves. So by the 1980s, we can find the specific phrase tinfoil hat, by which time it had become associated with individuals who would wear them in the belief that they would protect them from nefarious rays seeking to surveil, brainwash, or otherwise influence them. And so tinfoil hat became a shorthand for a conspiracy theorist. Uh, I remember a 1999 episode of The Simpsons where Bart becomes a paranoid conspiracy theorist wearing a tinfoil hat because he fears that uh, Major League Baseball was spying on everyone. Or in one of my favorite TV shows these days, Better Call Saul, uh, you see Chuck wrapping himself in his house in space blankets to shield him from electromagnetic radiation. But unfortunately for these poor tinfoil hat wearers, uh, there was a 2005 MIT study on this, and it found as follows. Uh, it has long been suspected that the government has been using satellites to read and control the minds of certain citizens. The use of aluminum helmets has been a common guerrilla tactic against the government's invasive tactics. Surprisingly, these helmets can in fact help the government spy on citizens by amplifying certain key frequency ranges reserved for government use. Uh, so maybe the government itself started the tinfoil hat craze for this very reason, huh? <laughs> mm. uh, but speaking of crazy, um, what about the idiom mad as a hatter, which is used to lightheartedly suggest that a person is suffering from insanity. Uh, some people think that this one comes from the hatter, uh, who's a character in Lewis Carroll's 1865 book, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, and its 1871 sequel, Through the Looking Glass. And he's often referred to as the Mad Hatter, although Carroll himself never used this term. Uh, but both the Hatter and the March Hare are referred to as mad by the Cheshire Cat. Uh, but the phrase mad as a hatter predates Carroll's works, and and there are a few theories out there about where it comes from. Uh, the first is mercury poisoning. Uh, in the 18th and 19th century, mercury was used in the production of felt, which was commonly used in the hat-making trade at the time. And long-time long use of mercury products often resulted in mercury poisoning-induced uh, erythism among hat makers. And if you're like me and you hadn't heard of erethism by that name, it's it's also known as mad hatter disease or mad hatter syndrome. And it's a neurological disorder which affects the whole central nervous system. It's characterized by slurred speech, tremors, stumbling, and in extreme cases, hallucinations. And the use of mercury in the production of felt wasn't banned in the U.S. until the early 1940s, unfortunately. And so Plenty of industrial workers suffered from prolonged exposure to it. And this theory has the most supporters, but some of the other ones out there include the idea that Matt as a hatter came from the verb hatter, 
which means to harass, to weary, to wear out with fatigue, according to Samuel Johnson's Dictionary of the English Language published in 1755. Then there's the idea that this one came from a former hatter named Roger Crabb, uh, who was a 17th century hermit who, after he'd worked for a short time as a hatter, he gave all his goods to the poor and wore homemade sackcloth clothes. And finally, some think that maybe it's an adaptation of the Anglo-Saxon word adder, meaning poison, uh, which is closely related to the word adder for the poisonous cross viper. And according to a Dictionary of Common Fallacies from 1980, mad meant venomous, and hatter is a corruption of adder or viper, so the phrase mad as an adder originally meant as venomous as a viper. Uh, some support this interpretation over the mercury poisoning theory because mad as a hatter was known before hat making was a recognized trade. Uh, in other words, mad as a hatter was known as an idiom before one could wear the hat of a hatter. Uh, which segues to that idiom, to wear more than one hat, uh, meaning to play two or more roles or to hold two different positions, do two different jobs. And a good source for viewing uh, this idiom at work is to check out all those Twitter bios, uh, like Hillary Clinton's from 2016. Wife, mom, grandma, women and kids advocate, floatus, senator, sex Secretary of State, hair icon, pantsuit aficionado, 2016 presidential candidate. Uh, somebody who wears a lot of hats is also sometimes called a poobah, uh, meaning a person who holds many public or private offices. And this comes from the 1885 Gilbert and Sullivan operetta, The Mikado. And in that show, the character Poobah, whose title is Lord High Everything Else, very humbly agrees to accept several important government offices and their salaries after a series of officials resign and he does anything if the bribe is big enough and he loves to strut and show off to anyone who might be impressed by his grandeur and it didn't take english speakers long to adopt puba as a term for someone who holds either many offices or a high position and now the name has come to be used as a mocking title for someone self-important or locally high-ranking and who either exhibits an inflated self-regard or who has limited authority while taking impressive titles. Well, host of this podcast is just one hat that I wear, and it's getting time to go back to wearing some of the other ones, so that'll do it for this episode. Uh, there are a lot more hat idioms out there that I didn't get to, though, so stay tuned for a part two on hat idioms. Thanks for listening. <laughs>